Hunting the Hunter, Chapter 2. Life on the run had sharpened Aiden's response time. He hit the dirt before the echo died and rolled under the porch. When Zephram Turnbull turned to investigate the source of the noise, his hired man had disappeared. You okay, Gary? he asked. Gary Graham was Aiden's alias. Get down, Aiden hissed. He was absolutely convinced that Frank Lindenauer, the man who had framed their parents, was shooting at him from cover. Five days before, Aiden and Meg had barely escaped him in a Denver cemetery. Meg, Aiden thought of his sister, hidden away in the barn, completely unprotected. How could he reach her without making himself an easy target? My fault. Sorry, came the voice of Zephram Turnbull. It's just a nail gun. Shouldn't leave it lying around. Pale and shaking, Aiden emerged from the shadows under the porch. Not Frank Lindenauer. Not this time. A nail gun, he repeated in a daze. Turnbull nodded. I'm replacing some of these rotted planks. He flashed Aiden a satisfied grimace. That'll show Holyfield I'm not planning to go anywhere. If he wants this farm, he can have it. In 17 years. Aiden picked up the device and handed it to the farmer, who rested it on the porch rail. That explained the percussive cracks and reached the falconers in the farmhand's apartment attached to the barn. They had been awakening each dawn to what sounded like a gunfight. Aiden stood patiently on the porch while Turnbull washed his face and painted his cuts with dark orange iodine. Don't trust those newfangled ointments, his employer said flatly. The old ways are the best. Wouldn't be using that blasted nail gun, but my bum leg makes it hard to get squared up to swing a hammer. The front door was open and Aiden could see in inside. The house was very much like its occupant. Simple, harsh, and spare. Most of the furniture was unpainted wood, and even the upholstered living room couch had a severe sit-up-straight quality to it. A brand new computer, still in its factory packing packaging, sat in an open box by the wall. Turnbull noticed Aiden's interest in the Dell system. It's from my nephew in New York City last Christmas, he explained. He figured we could stay in touch through email. You haven't taken it out of the box yet, Aiden observed. You got that right. All at once, there was a loud squealing noise, and Bernard stampeded past, an enraged pig closer in size to a buffalo. Hooves thundering, he scrambled around the corner of the house and charged down the dirt driveway. A few seconds later, a car door slammed, and a gray sedan screeched away from the farm and out of sight, burning rubber. The incident produced the closest thing to a smile Aiden had yet seen on his employer's lips. Show me a private investigator with a belly to tangle with, Bernard, and I'll show you a man without fear. Aiden didn't share the farmer's good humor. Weeks on the run had taught him that mysterious spies watching from a distance were nothing to joke about. Maybe it had been just a snoop hired by Holyfield to force Turnbull out. Maybe. But with Frank Lindenauer out there somewhere, and with hundreds of cops on the alert for the Falconer fugitives, a private investigator would be the least of Aiden's worries. At six feet, seven inches tall, FBI agent Emmanuel Harris was an intimidating presence. He could not intimidate the Denver office's coffee pot to percolate any faster, though. It bubbled and glubbed, taking its own sweet time while Harris watched with his empty cup glaring. Slow brewing coffee was not the cause of his foul mood. He had lost the Falconer kids again. This was nothing new. The young fugitives had been dodging him for weeks, appearing from thin air and then vanishing just as quickly but never before had they remained out of sight for so long. 
Six days ago, Aiden and Margaret had eluded Harris, not to mention half the Denver Police Department. They had not been heard from since. While waiting for the kids to resurface, Harris was re-examining their parents' court case, all 19,000 pages of it. The towers of paper barely fitting inside the tiny converted closet he was using as an office here in Denver. Doctors John and Louise Falconer, the respected criminology professors convicted of aiding and abetting foreign terrorists, the most notorious traitors in half a century. Only the longer Harris gave the documents a second look, the flimsier the case against the Falconer seemed to be. The professors were in prison not because of overwhelming evidence against them. They had been found guilty simply because they had been unable to produce one witness, a CIA agent named Frank Lindenauer. The CIA insisted there was no such person. We should have looked harder, Harris mumbled aloud to the coffee pot. He was the agent who had cracked the Falconer case. It was his fault that Aiden and Margaret's parents were in maximum security prison, and it was his fault that Aiden and Margaret were now fugitives. The kids claimed to have found new evidence. They said Lindenauer not only exists, but he had framed their parents. Could that be true? The coffee pot had no opinion. It continued to percolate its at its maddeningly slow pace. Hey, Harris, a white-coated lab tech leaned in the doorway. I knew I'd find you here. You spend more time in the coffee room than your office. What do you got for me, Harris interrupted. Washington was able to lift a couple of partial fingerprints off the pistol they found at the cemetery. One print belonged to the girl, Margaret. And the other? The second could only belong to the owner of the gun, Hairless Joe the mysterious bald killer who had been stalking the Falconers for thousands of miles. It's all right here. The lab tech handed over a file folder and disappeared down the hall. Breathlessly, Harris opened the manila cover and examined the contents. Terrence J. McKenzie. He frowned. That name didn't ring a bell. According to the file, Terrence J. McKenzie had been a low-level CIA operative working in anti-terror Back in 1995, his bosses had become nervous that he was becoming too friendly with the terrorist groups that he was supposed to be investigating. But just when Mackenzie was about to be fired, he disappeared. This fingerprint was the first sign of him in nearly a decade. Harris turned the page. Pasted at the top of Mackenzie's personal record was a photograph of a young man with long, thick, red hair and a full beard. Harris gawked. He knew that face. He hadn't seen it in the street posters that had been designed to trap the Falconer kids in Los Angeles. That man was Hairless Joe. It all fit. Terrence McKenzie had shaved his face and his head in an attempt to elude his former colleagues in the CIA. He was the missing piece of this puzzle, the phantom who had eluded the powerful magnifying glass of the trial of the new millennium. Terrence McKenzie was the man John and Louise Falconer knew as Frank Lindenauer.